Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Danielle Hawkins is a qualified veterinarian and busy farmer's wife who writes popular rom-coms set in rural New Zealand. She got started, she says, because she needed a new project and she'd already painted the house. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and today Danielle talks about how popular vet James Herriot inspired her early days and about writing her own particular brand of unromantic romance. And for fans or people who'd like to be fans, we've got a great giveaway, two paperback copies of Danielle's latest book, When It All Went to Custard, to give away. One each week for the next two weeks, so enter the draw now. Details of how you can do that can be found in the show notes for this episode on the website, thejoysofbingereading.com or on Facebook. Entries close July 20, so don't delay. Enter now to win your own copy of Danielle's latest funny outing. But now here's Danielle. Hello there, Danielle, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Hi, Jenny. Thanks. Look, you're a qualified vet. You're a farmer's wife living on a sheep and beef farm, raising two children. And you decide one day that you want to be a romance author as well. Is that how it happened? And was there a once upon a time moment when you decided, I've just got to write a book? Oh, well, not exactly. I, I never decided to be a romance writer. And I was rather surprised when, when that's how I was labelled because, you know, you just think that you've written a book. You don't put it in any particular box. Um, but I, I started writing. I was at home with a baby and I wasn't working full-time. Well, I wasn't working at all apart from being at home with a baby. And and I was bored. I just, I wanted a project. Oh, it's that simple. You wanted a project. There's a million people who would like a project, but they don't choose to write a book. So had you always been at the house first? (laughs) (laughs) And then I I wrote a book. (laughs) Painted the house first. That sounds so Kiwi. Your books have been described as a cross between Doc Martin, the TV series, and the stories of James Herriot. And I gather that when you were a teenager, you wanted to be James Herriot. So that must be quite cool for you, is it? Absolutely. That's a that's a wonderful compliment. I, I, no one has ever done, I don't think, what, what James Herriot has done. You know, his books, they appeal to people who know nothing about veterinary medicine, and um, but they're not patronising and boring to people who do know all about it. That's such a skill. I'm, I'm so impressed. Oh, that's lovely. You've now written four very well-received novels that can be best described as distinctly rural New Zealand romantic comedies. Was it a matter of write what you know? Did You say you didn't start out writing romance, so how did you come to be in that slot in the end? Oh, well, I I started writing and the first first thing I wrote was rubbish you know even I could tell it was rubbish and then I wrote something else and and something else um the one that I submitted to a publisher was number four or number five I think and it was a sort of dystopian 
uh, set in in New Zealand where we'd been overtaken by this group of religious fundamentalists and we'd all been plunged back into the age of, you know, horses and carts and long skirts and and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I submitted it and, and I got back a the nicest re- rejection letter ever. They said, quite nicely written, but terrible idea. Why don't you try, you know, rural romancy fiction stuff? That sells well. Um, so, so I did. <laughs> That's lovely. It sounds a bit, the other one sounds a bit like sort of Amish in New Zealand. <laughs> yes, I think it was probably. It wasn't a very good idea. <laughs> and your your first book, when you got on this streak of, of finding your niche, was called, I think, Dinner at Rosie's. And it did so well that it was translated into German and Italian. And I just wondered, wonderful to have such success with a first book. Why do you think that it appealed to international readers? Um, the German, the German thing. I think that Germans do quite like New Zealand fiction. Um, I know that Mary Scott, you know, who wrote the same sort of thing, but fifty years before I did. Um, she was always translated into German, and just just because the Germans liked stories about New Zealand. Um, yeah, I think I think that's all. Yes, I've, I've actually heard that even in the literary field, there's quite good links between New Zealand and Germany, isn't there? Mm. Well, unfortunately, I've, I've fallen off. They, um, they haven't wanted the last couple. Oh, <laughs> <Even> OK. <laughs> the heroines in your stories are very much ordinary women. Um, in Dinner at Rosie's, the central character gets dumped by her boyfriend in Melbourne and she comes home to New Zealand to gather herself together again. And a chocolate cake for breakfast. The country vet somehow scores an all-black boyfriend who at the beginning she doesn't even recognise is an all-black. They're characters women can very much identify with, aren't they? I wonder if that's part of the secret. Oh, I I hope so. Um, Yeah, you always have to start if you write, or I have to start if I write in the first person with somebody a bit like me who thinks a bit like me about most things and you know, that's my life, so it just works out like that. Yeah, and do, do you get uh, emails from readers saying that kind of thing? Yes, yes, I, I do. Yeah, I get really nice emails, actually. Um, yeah, yeah. I so. think I saw one where they said it was so nice to see a romance with a a divorced woman or with a, um, a broken-up marriage um, as the centre of it, that, that, that you didn't sort of shy away from that as being unromantic. Yeah, I, I guess you know you you struggle to keep finding different stories, so <laughs> you know you, you have to get to these things eventually. <laughs> and and you you also have quite a bit of the veterinary science comes into it, and I was amused that in chocolate cake for breakfast, there must be the most unromantic first date that ever has ever happened, where. The vet takes the all black along on an emergency call out to um, birth a calf, which turns out to be a birthing of a stillborn calf. And it's a very detailed account that I think some readers have commented gave them just a little bit too much information. Do you think that your veterinary aspect got carried away there? Well, you know, I did it. I did it on purpose, Jenny. I get so tired of sanitised vet things and we get quite a lot on tv and it's no one's fault but you end up with the only things that are suitable to show to a general audience end up being rehoming the little kitten and clipping the alpaca's toenails and it's just not what the job's like 
So, so, I, so I did it on purpose, and, and and perhaps I went a little bit overboard because I was trying to make a point. Fantastic! And what sort of feedback did you get on that one? Well, the Germans hated it, <laughs> um, and 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 they, actually, I was a bit annoyed. They rewrote the scene, but without asking me, and oh, and that, that really annoyed me because my name was at the bottom of it. So I I requested it and translated it painstakingly with my seventh form German. And I um, realised that it no longer made sense and it was medically impossible. So, <laughs> so I rewrote them in English sanitised version and said, please use that one. <laughs> oh, dear, that's that's really lovely story. Um, in the most recent one, when it all went to custard, there's, there's a memorable opening line and it starts, I wasn't enjoying the afternoon of February 23 even before I learned that my husband was having an affair. I just thought that was a great way to start a book. And um, the central character is struggling to hold her life apart. Now, we have mentioned this already, but um, there is a distinctly um, anti-romantic thread in your work, isn't there? Absolutely. I, I, I like things to end happily and I love love stories, but I really don't like mushy ones. So I Perhaps I sabotage them a little bit, you know. As soon as something sweet and touching happens, and you know, I have to have to make it silly or funny or, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm amused also that that book, none of the words are in capitals; they're all in lowercase. Um, and I wondered again, that's kind of another little unpretentious way of saying, uh, you know, I'm not pretentious. This isn't pretentious. And obviously your publishers see that as part of it, of the branding as well to, to allow you to do it that way or for them to decide to do it that way. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know actually. I don't get any say in, in what they're going to do with covers and, and titles, That's, um, yeah, which is sometimes a little bit scary because you worry that they're not going to get the right idea. But I do think they did that one really nicely. There wasn't any conversation with you before they did it? Oh, you get, you get sent it. Um, you know, do you like this? But I think if, if you didn't, then it wouldn't matter. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And one of the things that makes them so truly Kiwi is the humour. And the humour is, I think, very much about understatement is one thing that I can sort of see in it. How would you define Kiwi humour and, and how do you manage to nail it so well? Thank you, Jenny. Of course, I try to nail it, but I'm never sure if I do. But I, I think you're right in that our humour, it's its more British, isn't it? It's quite um, deprecating, whereas the Americans will make a joke and nudge you in the ribs and stop and wait for you to laugh. And Yes. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's just I suppose it's just a cultural thing, but, but I've, I never find that kind of humour quite so funny. I think even compared with the English, we're probably even further down the scale when it comes to understatement though I think there is something that's distinctly Kiwi about your book yeah yeah well I suppose you know being Kiwi is yourself and and I I like dialogue and I like to try and get it right so of course it's going to come out very much like the way that I talk (laughs) yeah yeah and the other thing about the relationships that there's a nice authentic quality um the women and the men see and accept each other warts and all sometimes they don't have any choice in the matter and the worst thing is to be a pretentious person like Chris Harry's boyfriend in in the most recent book and I'm one it sort of struck me as I was reading 
whether one of the things you also do is answer some deep hope that every woman has that she's going to be appreciated for who she is rather than because she's got lipstick on. Mm, Absolutely. Well, I I suppose that that would be very important to me and probably to everybody else. Do you think that it's something that's very commonly achieved? (laughs) I I don't know. Because honestly, I I think our world, women are always spoke. Be, trying to be pushed into something that they're not to, you know, to, to win the approval of others, really. That's, and your women never do that. <laughs> do you mean, you know, sort of since we're little and we're told to be nice and be polite? And... Yeah, and then we worry about what we're going to look like and whether, whether so-and-so is going to like that the way we look, that kind of thing. You know, yes. you're too fat or you're too thin or you're too tall or you're too noisy or you're too talkative or something or other. Yes. Isn't it a great relief not to be a teenager anymore and not (laughs) to sort of get over that a bit? Totally. Yes, totally. That's right. Yeah. So um, I wondered, is there one thing you've done more than any other that you'd see as being the secret to your success as a writer, where we're talking now more about the general writing career than the specific books? Goodness, I... I, I don't actually know that I've had a great deal of success, Jenny. I mean, you know, a, a book in New Zealand doesn't have to sell very many copies before it's called a bestseller. And, you know, it's very easy to, to say that sort of stuff and, and and not have huge sales and, and great international contracts or anything like that behind it. Um, yeah, I, I think any success I've had is really very moderate. <laughs> You know, I, I wish that the writing was enough to pay the mortgage, but it definitely isn't. Yes, yes, I can I can understand what you're saying, but it's all relative, isn't it? I mean, four books published by a trad publisher for starters, that's one notch on your belt. And I can tell you from experience that when I was trying to order your books through the Auckland Public Library, some of them, I can't remember, I think it was Chocolate for Breakfast actually, was like I was about number 40 on a list of about 80 people or something. They were incredibly popular in the library. Oh, that's lovely to hear. <laughs> Perhaps you didn't know that, but honestly, if you if you go and look up a Danielle Hawkins book, particularly one of the more recent ones, you'll find that there's a big waiting list of people wanting to read them. So I think you can definitely put another little notch on your belt for that. But you're, you're typically modest and understated, aren't you? <laughs> well, I don't know if it's that so much, Jenny, is, is just being an ungrateful sod. You know, it's it's such a moving target. You think that all you'd like to do in the world is be published and it would be so exciting. And then you think, gosh, but, you know, this this other person on Facebook, they've, they've sold their book to all sorts of countries and I haven't, and, <laughs> you know. Yes. It's, it's very good to remember to be more grateful. All writers have a danger of falling into that comparisonitis, I must say. Yes, absolutely. I do. I, I try hard not to, and I'm certainly much better at it than I was. Yes, yes. Um, you would look to many as if you have, you know, a sort of the, the old cliche of having it all, you know. You're still managing to work two days a week at something that you love and you keep a garden and raise kids and farming and etc etc but I was interested to see in one of the interviews that you did that you said sure women can have it all for about a week 
and, and said, just don't be too hard on yourself. And that seemed to be very good advice. How do you manage that whole thing of trying to keep it in perspective? Oh, yeah, it, it gets it gets easier and easier and, and better and better. Um, yeah, just just not just reminding yourself that you don't have to be perfect and you don't have to have the clean house and the wonderful children and the international book deal and, and <laughs> yeah. But we all struggle with that, don't we? That that's such a that's such a girl thing. We yes, so hard on ourselves. Yes, that's right. Are you in danger of still wanting to do too much or do it all? I don't think so. Um, I think probably ten years ago, I really, really felt like that, and and really felt a bit inadequate. And then you know, the older you get, the more you realise that that incredibly trendy, pulled together person that you see it down at the school bus has got issues too and yeah yeah it just makes it better <laughs> yes yes yeah the farm that you've are on now I think has been in the family for four generations and your great-grandfather Arthur Cohen was a renowned conservationist now I understand the family has continued in that tradition and Certainly the retaining of the farm is part of the central story in this most recent, your, your latest book. So I assume that is was also something that you had really value highly and are continuing with? I I do. I I am so lucky. This farm has always been my favourite place in the world and to get to marry someone who loves it and, and is fitted in and yeah, it's it's amazing. And, you know, you don't just wander out and buy a farm these days, so you can't do it without family support. And, yeah, there's just, you know, so so many lucky things that have happened that, that allow us to be here. Yeah. And tell us a bit about the conservation side of things. Are you Do you have any engagement with that? A, a, a little, yes. Um, yeah, my, my grandfather, he was pretty visionary. You know, he bought the place in 1951, I think, and um, and the first thing he did almost was put a fence around the remaining bush. So we've got this beautiful big 150-acre block right through the middle, and and some smaller blocks. Um, and and my husband mostly, but I help out. He he runs trap lines and bait stations and stuff all the way through it. He's got he's up to 500 now. Oh my gosh! So, yeah, and it's it's really really cool. You, you know, before Grandpa died a few years ago. Um, you know, he'd got to see already the result of doing all that intensive trapping because they didn't used to realise that that was a that was a thing and you needed to do it. But but it was so cool that Grandpa had got to see that tom tits had come back and that we had robins now and yeah, it's it's really special. That's wonderful. Yes, no, sorry, I thought it was your great grandfather, but your grandfather. Yes, yeah, that's great. Um, tell us a bit about the farm. How how big is it and what do you run there? Um, we are 350 hectares effective, um, about another 100 in bush, and we've got 1,200 ewes and the cattle are all um, dairy grazers that, you know, just, just growing up to go home at two years old to be milked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And your work in the vet practice, you've kept that up partly because you love to be a vet, is that right? Yes, yes, I do, and, and I wouldn't. I mean, I, I love being home and having this part-time work lifestyle so that I get to cruise around and do garden stuff and kid stuff. But 
I don't think I'd be a very good full-time stay-at-home mum. <laughs> so it's really nice to get off and, and be a professional just occasionally. Now, you're a large animal vet, so does that mean what sort of animal? I mean, obviously cows, maybe horses. Tell us a bit about your work. Uh, I avoid horses like the plague wherever oh, possible. Do you? <laughs> Terrified of the damn things. <laughs> Cows I'm very fond of. <laughs> <laughs> and and the sheep and beef sort of consultancy advice stuff, that's my that's my particular interest. So sure. I, I really like doing that. Do you have anything like alpacas and things in your area? A few, yes. Alpacas are, are lovely. And, um, and I get to do the Kiwi House Vet work in, in Otrahonga, which oh, is cool. very cool. <laughs> So what sorts of problems do Kiwis have? Oh, well, they're, um, they're quite prone to getting runny noses. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? They, they, get, they get pneumonia occasionally. Um, we had one who, who had terrible trouble laying her eggs. Um, at the moment, we've got a fainting tuatara that we're all scratching our heads over, <laughs> wondering what on earth to do with that. <laughs> so what, what's your solution for the fainting tuatara? I, I, I have none. It's <laughs> not, not stress the tuatara is my only suggestion to date. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's quite, it, it's, um, I think it's good, it's good for me doing this wildlife medicine stuff because, you know, after nearly 20 years, you're not a, not a fabulous expert, but you know most of the things that are going to go wrong with cows and sheep. And then to get these totally different species where you don't even know what normal is, it's, ah. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Yes, I thought actually that horse horse veterinary science is probably a very specialist area, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, one of my very good friends and classmates is a very good horse vet, so um, I just have her on speed dial. It works really well. <laughs> oh, that's great. So how do you relax when you're not working? Oh, um, I love reading and gardening. I'm going out on the farm and helping out. Nothing very exciting. I'm very dull. <laughs> And and what garden? What's your gardening? What do you do with the garden? Oh, um, the garden is well, it's fairly new. We've we've lived here twelve years, um, so it's so it's only that old, um, and it's it's quite big. We've got a, a big lawn, and just to really make everybody hate me, um, my dad comes up the road on his ride on and mows it for me, so I don't have to mow my lawn. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's um. My, the garden, it's its very much like grandma's, which is just down the road. She was a fabulous garden gardener. She had, you know, four acres with bush all around and um, a very sort of English country garden feel. So I've got lots and lots of things from her and from all my gardening aunts and my mum. Wonderful. And do you do vegetables as well? Do you grow for your food? Oh, I'm, I'm not a great vegetable gardener, actually. I'm afraid most of my vegetable garden at the moment is um, cosmos and chicory. I'm trying to create a wildflower bed, but the pigs broke in yesterday, so my wildflower bed is not looking great. <laughs> True country life, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I do I do good rhubarb, but, you know, that's that's not hard. So. <laughs> Oh, that's lovely. Look, this is called The Joys of Binge Reading, and we that, that's partly because it has become an age where people tend to binge read. They find an author they, they like and they keep going, or they get, just like they get a series on Netflix, they, they like to buy a book, a digital book at midnight so they can continue with the series. So just turning to Danielle's reader, tell us a bit about what you like to read and, and who you're reading at the moment, maybe? 
Right. Well, I am a, a real binge reader. I, I love to find a, an author that I really like and read all of their stuff. Um, so Terry Pratchett is one of the one of the authors I just sort of read on a loop. Um, Georgette Hayer is another. I love her books. And at the moment, I've just discovered that on Amazon you can download old D.E. Stevenson books for only about a dollar each. So I've got a whole lot of those and I'm loving them. Now tell me, I've never heard of D.E. Stevenson. Tell me a bit about her or him. You have you have such a treat in store. Um, Dee, she was she was a Scottish writer, and she wrote in the probably the thirties through the sixties, um, and and she be, she was very prolific. So some of her books are, are merely pleasant, but the good ones are, are wonderful. Um, you want to start with Miss Bunkle's book, and and, Miss, and you you Miss must Bunkle. read it. Yes, Miss Bunkle's wonderful. She um she decides that she needs to write a book because um. She's poorer than she expected to be with the world downturn. And so she writes this book all about everybody in her village and then uh, it becomes a fabulous runaway success and, and they're all hunting desperately to the author for the author so that they can run him out of town. It's, it's very funny. <laughs> and so are they? T- t- what sort of niche would they fit into? Are they country, sto- country mysteries or country village life stories? or Perhaps, perhaps village life stories they're mm. very they're very gentle and very pleasant um they're they're certainly not bodice rippers often you know people get together in the end but sometimes not they, yeah they're they're real real relaxing easy <laughs> I, I tend not to read um you know gripping sagas of our time that are going to keep me awake at night I'm, I'm not very good at those <laughs> And who amongst the current authors are you reading? Have you have you got any favourites amongst the you know more recently published? Oh yes, lots. Um, Philip Pullman, I'm very fond of, and I've been been reading his books to the kids lately. Um, so we've just gone through all of those ones again. What else? I've, I'm having a, a blank, even though there are plenty of nice things. Did you get into the Hunger Games with the kids? I did actually. I loved the Hunger Games. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really liked. Eleanor Oliphant. Um, that's I don't, oh, yes. don't read very. I haven't read that one yet, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. I sort of avoided it because it was such a runaway success in, in a way. You know. Yes. Which is yeah. a, bit, a bit silly, really, but it's lovely. Um, yeah. Oh, and there's yeah. a there's a really lovely. I think he's Swedish author called Frederick Becker, and has uh-huh. been translated to English. And they're gorgeous. They're just uplifting and and happy and funny and clever and yeah, awesome. That sounds great. There's definitely a theme coming through here, isn't there, that you don't like anything that's grim and um, too navel-gazing perhaps? Oh, n- no, although, I, you know, I, I do think that probably one should. Um, I read The Narrow Road to the Deep North a few years ago and I'm, I'm glad I did, but I'm still not over it. Look, circling around and looking back over where you've come from and where you are today, at this stage in your career, if you were doing it all again, is there anything you would change or would you do it more or less as you have done it? I, I think I, I don't think I would change, yeah, which is very nice to realise. Good, good. Is there anything that you you know you really would like to try your hand at that you haven't attempted yet? I mean in the area of your writing, is there an area that you sort of feel you'd like to well, go back to dystopian or, or maybe do um, YA or any, any other areas that you've considered having a go at? Yes, I, I would like to, to do that. Um, I, I'd like to create a, a really awesome fantasy series, you know, a really clever alternate 
reality, like Philip Pullman or Ursula Le Guin or one of those people. You know, they're 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 just so perfect. They're alternate universes that you don't ever trip them up and find little inconsistencies. Um, yeah, I, I would very much like to do that. I don't think I'm clever enough, but but I'll try. <laughs> well, that sounds good. I, I I definitely think you should give it a go because you've now built up the street cred with the things that you've done already to be able to use that as a platform if you wanted to. Yeah, maybe. I have a feeling that um, publishers hate it when you leave your genre after they've built you up in it. So, <laughs> Yes, you might have to do it, do it not use a different publisher or, or something. I would heaven forbid that, that I'd suggest that you should do that. But, you know, there, there might be a day come when you feel, oh, I just really need to do something that will refresh me. A lot of writers do those things in parallel, like they still continue with the things that are sort of like their bread and butter, but they do something on the side over a longer period. That's maybe something you could consider. Yes. No, I, the, the book that I'm writing at the moment, it, it is a, a young adult sort of a fairy tale thing. So, yeah, and, and, and I, don't, I don't know if anyone will ever want to publish it, but trying to write things to get published is, is probably pretty self-defeating, I think. <laughs> Much better to write something because you think it's fun. Yeah, yeah, because that comes through, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's hard writing a book. It, you get sick of it and you're sure it's never going to be any good. And if, you, if you're not really excited by the whole thing and it's not so much fun, you'd rather do it than anything else, I don't think you'd ever get there. Yeah, that's right. Tell us a bit about your work habits, actually. How do you organise your day? Do you have a definite period in the morning, a block of time that you put aside for writing? Or how do you do it? Um, I I try to get up early, sort of half past five, six, something like that, and, and write for an hour or two before everyone else gets up. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm finding, actually, at the moment, even though I'm doing that, I'm making terribly slow progress. And I'll look at my morning's haul and go, hmm, 100 words, great. But <laughs> never mind. <laughs> because the rest of the day does tend to, it tends to vanish and, yeah, and, and writing is something that it's never urgent to do it now. You, you know, it can always be put off because there's something else or you need it down the farm or could you go and get a new tractor battery or, or something. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what is next for Danielle, the writer, in terms of the next 12 months or so? Have you got things that are in the cooker that your publisher is expecting? Where are you going with all of that? No, no. This book that's just come out, um, Custard, it, that was the second of a of a two book deal. So I'm I'm unemployed and fancy free. <laughs> so I'll carry on with my fairy tale and see how it goes. Good. You you could consider self publishing when you get to it. Yes. Yeah. I I could. Um, I I'm not I'm not mad keen because the the promotion stuff I, I don't enjoy at all and, and I don't think it's very good for my mental health I'd much rather have somebody else do it <laughs> yes I must say it is a huge amount of work it, it, it's it is something you have to really I mean I think somebody used a, an expression which I hated when I heard it but it's a bit like building a house where you think that when you've got the walls the roof walls and the roof on and the and the floor in that you've got like 80% of your house done and it's only really about 40% because of all the unseen stuff, the plumbing, the wiring, etc. Well, apparently they say that when you self-publish a book, writing the book is only 40% of it. The 60% is the marketing and, and all the rest that you have to do. 
Oh, yes, that's right. And oh, I mean, I, don't, I just don't think it's worth it. I don't have very much time and I certainly don't want to devote it to something that's probably going to make me feel not very good about myself and I don't enjoy doing. No, that's hard. No. It is hard, yeah. I'm sure mm. that, that you can, you'll be able to find a way around it and we'll, we'll be very interested in seeing the outcome. But where can readers find you online? I think you, you do interact your re- with your readers. Where can they find you online, Danielle? Um, my, my only online presence is a, is a Facebook page. It's called Danielle Hawkins Author. And, and I'm pretty good at responding when people write. Um, yeah, I, I'm not very good at doing the media stuff. And, and I have found that, that I take it all far too seriously and, and lose all perspective. So I'm, I'm much better to stay not doing much of it. <laughs> Do you mean that if people say something unflattering, you take it to heart too much? Not, not so much. You don't get very much of that. Um, but, but just the the whole. Oh my gosh, I have to craft my image, and I have to think of some new post on Instagram. And what if it doesn't get a hundred likes or a thousand likes, and the last one got more? And you know, oh, if I, uh, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. would just prefer not to engage with that. Yes, yes, yes. I can understand that. Yeah, people do it so well, and I and I really admire them. But um, but yeah, I don't seem to be able to. So, am I hearing you say that we're not going to be having any more romantic comedies from you? Oh no, not at, not at all. Um, I I like writing that sort of thing, but it's not what I'm doing at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, look, it's been wonderful talking to you, my dear. We've come to the end of our thirty minutes, and. Um, I'll, I'll let you go get back on the farm. What have you got going for the rest of the day? Oh, um, I was going to go and pick up some silage wrap at the bottom of the of the hill <laughs> and shovel up some dags, and then we've got netball after school, so it's, <laughs> it's not very glamorous today. It's lovely. It's real farm talk. It's lovely. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks so much, Danielle. Cool. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details 
in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.